Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. To win this beautiful Hummel Everton FC 2023-24 home shirt couldn't be easier. All you have to do is make your way to the Royal Blue Everton FC YouTube channel, subscribe and leave a comment on any video saying you want to enter the competition. That's it. It's that easy. Remember, become a subscriber and leave a comment. Entries close on September 24th at 11pm UK time and a winner will be drawn at random on September 25th. Good luck. Hello everybody and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. I am Matt Jones, I am joined by Joe Thomas and for those of you who are watching on YouTube you see we're both dressed extremely smartly today aren't we Joe? That's probably, it. Um, even without Chris Beasley who's typically the the most formally dressed uh, member of the, the podcast, but we've had a special visitor into the office today, haven't we? Sir Keir Starmer, and you had a chat with him about football earlier That's on. It. I was uh, discussing Everton with him. Uh, obviously, Everton Arsenal being the next game and Arsenal being Kerr's team. So, uh, yeah, we, we discussed that amongst other, other things and, um, you know, Everton in the wider situation also cropping up in terms of a conversation as well. Did he give a view on the Pickford-Ramsdale debate or did he leave, leave that one aside? <laughs> he wisely left that one aside <laughs> because I think there's only going to be one winner in that yeah. debate for England number one. Yeah, he was never going to win that one, was he? <laughs> um, certainly, but uh, we have got loads to go through. Of course, we'll talk about what's been going on over the international break uh, with a few Everton's players as well. But this morning, Joe was trying to work hard, do a lot of stuff. <laughs> on the potential takeover when Keir Starmer did rock up. But I'm sure you're all aware by now. Huge reports overnight started off with Bloomberg in the States that Everton are close to a full takeover by 777 or triple seven. I think like triple seven, triple seven, triple seven partners. Um, and they were followed up by The Telegraph this morning. You said they're in advanced talks and a lot of other organizations since. Um, our stance at the moment, Joe, as we get in, and as you know, as we sit here now at nearly lunchtime on Tuesday, things change very, very quickly, don't they? But um, we understand that they've been pitching a sale of a majority stake to US investors and finance packages with boutique banks have been discussed over the course of the last three weeks. Uh, I think I've summed all that up correctly <laughs> as to where we are right now, but I'll throw it over to you. Um, where is Where are we with this as things stand? Because it's, as much as we know that Triple Seven have been there and the interest has been simmering in the background. Mm-hmm. It's sort of exploded into life again in the last uh, 24 hours. I think the reality is it's a mess. It always mm. seems to be. Um, and trying to kind of pick your way through all the, the rumour and the intrigue and speculation is, is, is as difficult as it ever is with with Everton. Yeah, We know that Farhad Mashiri is on the lookout for, for investments. That's something that we know. Um, we saw the MSP deal collapse quite recently. Obviously, they're still providing a loan in relation to stadium financing, but their their investment um, ambitions now appear to be at an end. And seven 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 seem to have, you know, been one of the the organisations. Obviously, Miami-based consortium that's looking to to fill the void. The seven 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 have been on the scene for a long time, um, and it was them that were in the battle with MSP when MSP, you know got signed the exclusivity agreement at the beginning of, of, of the summer. 
obviously that interest remains. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, you know, seven 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 have, have got a portfolio of football clubs around the world. Um, their involvement within them is, you know, interesting to say the least. I think most of the investment's been made in the past two or three years. So there's no kind of long-term track yes. record as to what those clubs have achieved under their watch. But there are a lot of concerns from among the fan groups of the different clubs that they've been involved in over who they are and how they're running the club and what their ultimate kind of intentions are. All of which are, you know, are matters that kind of we're looking into and you know, will be given a platform to have and support as groups to make sure that they can have their say. Mm. Uh, whilst this is going on, hopefully get their message to machinery clear and obviously we'll be covering that that kind of side of things within within our own reporting over mm. the, the coming days and weeks. But essentially that's it. Over you know, overnight Bloomberg reported that a deal is close. I'm not sure how close a deal is, if I'm being perfectly mm. honest. I think seven 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 are interested. I think they have been around for a long time, but I also think that, or understand, you know, with my colleague Dave Powell, that since the MSP deal collapsed, you know, Farhad Mashir's representatives have been very active within the market, pitching the club to other investors who aren't 777, and also looking at kind of exploring the options for different types of, of finance packages with, with other banks as well, all of which would kind of suggest that Bearing in mind how long the talks have been going on with 777, the Fahad Mashiri hasn't been convinced up until now that they are definitely the right people for him to do business with. Obviously, that could change, um, depending on how Mashiri views things, depending on what the offers on the table are. There's always always a chance that people could compromise. so it's going to be one to watch and, and yeah, I'm not making any bones about 777 being interested or having the potential to do a deal with Fahad Mashiri. But I do think that he's been keeping his options open so they're not the only people that he's necessarily been, if not talking to seriously over takeover, at least discussing the potential of you know, seeking if there's any interest out there. So. Yeah, as I said, the, the, the portfolio is huge. They're involved with Stanley Age, Red Star Belgrade, Heather Berlin. Genoa, Vasco, Melbourne Victory, they've got shares in Sevilla as well. So the portfolio is is enormous. And I think that, you know, we were speaking earlier on today, and I think that's kind of made it difficult to to assess what kind of impact and what kind of things they like to do with football clubs, isn't it? Because it's not just one particular I suppose, I suppose the, the one you know common factor of all those football clubs and, and with everything as well is that financially they're not in the best positions and it feels like they, you know, this organization comes yeah. in and tries to um you know, resolve issues from from that point of view, certainly. Um, but because they're, they're so stretched around the world, because there's so many different types of investments and ownership models, because there's different issues to deal with in different leagues, it's kind of made it quite tough to pinpoint mm-hmm. what this would mean for everything going forward if Triple Seven were to come in and take over fully, as, as has been reported um, so far. But it, it sort of felt like to me, Joe, and I suppose this is indicated by the fact that, in, in essence, these are... Fire Machiri's second choice, aren't they? Because MSP yeah. were the, the initial one. Not like he was going to get over the line. That fell through, and now Triple Seven seems to be a bit closer. But it's always felt like this was the. And, you know, I've sort of picked up a bit on this with fans on social media mm. today, and in the comments from our, our articles that these were the the backup option and maybe a concern option for for a lot of fans as well. Um, do, do you kind of understand yeah, where those concerns have come from when you look at you know, that model? Share, yeah. the, share the concerns of a lot of fans as well. Obviously. You know, one of the things that you just said about the different clubs in their portfolio, similarly with Everton, 
they all have rich heritages as well. Mm. You know, they tend to be distressed clubs financially, at low ebbs in their, you know, in, in their in their histories, and all have rich heritages. And you know, on the one hand, it's, you know, it's difficult to judge whether all of those clubs, and I think we'd put Everton amongst them, have huge potential that they're not fulfilling at the minute. Mm. And you know, you look at it and you wonder. Is this a, a group that are coming in and thinking we can seriously realise this potential or are they looking for easy wins? Are they going, we can pick these up at a cheap price and you know keep our fingers crossed that with minimal investment, things just turn around and all of a sudden we're counting profits. Mm. Um, as I say, it's, it's, it's difficult to go too much into what they've done so far. That's one of the things we try to do at the minute, speak to journalists and fan groups at those different clubs that they have got a track record at. But because, as I say, they're still relatively new, it's hard to say, give a definitive yeah. thing for this has happened at every club. Certainly say that not every club has made an improvement since they've gone in. And I'd also certainly say that the fans of the clubs with which they have been involved in, whether you look at Standard Liège or whether you look at someone like Hertha Berlin, you know, even with Sevilla, I, I don't think any of those fans, or I think many sections of the fan bases within which um, their portfolio lies, haven't been enamoured with the way in which they've looked after the club. So that's clearly a concern for all of us who want the best interests of Everton going forward. You know, at the situation, I mean, obviously we know Fire Machine has pumped a lot of money in, but we've all seen the decline that the club has mm. undergone in that period. You know, we've seen someone with a lot of money come in and take the club backwards. You know, 777 seems to be someone who may not have access to huge funding pots and also, you know, their their intentions and their track record is, you know, difficult to, to read at, at best. So, you know, I, I can understand why people would be concerned. Um, and like you rightly say, mm. you know, these weren't Fire Machiri's first choice. He entered with exclusivity period with, with, with MSP and obviously entered ex- exclusivity period with the Kaminsky uh, group yep. last year as well. Um, so, you know... Farad is clearly exploring different options and, and probably one of the more pertinent elements to come out from all this, and I say this is something that we understand from our own kind of research, is that you know, there is potential for him to consider no longer being the majority shareholder within it, depending if the right package can be right. put together. Um, but I think the big stumbling block for a lot of people, it would be the same for 777, isn't necessarily isn't just what Farhad might be asking for up front. Um, it's the associated costs of running Everton Club. It's not just a case of buying whatever Farhad you know, wants to... It's not it's buying his stake for whatever price he names, and mm. it might be quite a competitive price. We understand that if it was just a straight sale of the club, the deal that he's offering is something that a lot of reputable buyers and investors might be willing to consider. But the problem is then all the ancillary costs because then it's you've got hold of the club, but now you also need to fund the rest of the stadium, and that's yep. you know a significant outlay of funds. You've also taken on a significant amount of debt. You're also looking at a playing squad that clearly needs investment in probably over several transfer windows. So all of a sudden you have what on paper face value might look like a decent deal and a relatively you know compelling and competitive price for a club with the potential and the heritage of and the fan base that Evans got. Then once you've had all those other things, it turns from something that might attract reputable buyers to something that, you know, rules out a lot of people that uh, you you would see as sensible movers within these markets. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. 
They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah, and um, we'll go into this in too much detail because, as we said, things are so fast moving. And when it comes to Everton, <laughs> you never know which way things are going to twist next. But um, in regards to potential next steps we've did this year, when you mentioned there about the, the funding, is that where you think that there could potentially be a delay? We might have to be patient with this going forward in regards to it feels like in order to, to pass the the regulations and the, the fit and proper persons test and whatever guys that's mm. in now, um, the, the big challenge for Triple Seven is they're going to show where that, that funding's going to come from, especially, big, yeah. especially especially for a deal of this magnitude. Because as we said there, we've, we mentioned all the teams that they've been linked with, they're obviously involved in, in Sevilla, although that's not quite a full takeover. This would be their biggest investment and probably most high-profile mm. investment so far, with it being a club in the Premier League and a club with the profile of Everton. Yeah, I think, I think the challenge that any prospective buyer or investor in Everton has, I think it's one of the reasons, you know, one of the other reasons why MSP found it difficult with Lafayette Mashiri is convincing him that they're willing to do a deal that he sees as beneficial to himself as well, yeah. uh, or that he's willing to accept. Obviously, he's put so much money into Everton, and if he were to leave the club now, he leaves it in a far worse state, albeit with a you know, state-of-the-art stadium, you know, in the in the advanced stages of, of being built, um, recouping the money that he's already put into the club is, is very it's going to be very difficult for him, and I think he knows that. I think what what prospective buyers need to try and do is they need to find a sweet spot where they can get a price for the club which they think is a good deal, bearing in mind all the other costs associated with it, but which Farhad also goes, you know what, I'm willing to walk away from that price, or I'm willing to, you know, seed a significant amount of control for that. Sure. And I think that's part of the issue with, with the MSP. I think he knew that for what's essentially 25% for £150 million, um, I think one of the issues, aside from the rights of media funding and their concerns over whether it would leave their um, you know, their, their securities and, and, and relationships with the club, I think it was that idea that obviously they were interested because they could see a good deal for themselves. But I think Mishiri also knew it was a good deal for them as well mm. and ultimately thought maybe I can get a better deal elsewhere. Whether he can or not remains to be seen. But obviously, you know, one of the other people that are out there is someone like 777, so it's going to be interesting. But yeah, proving to him that they have the money, especially if he's seeking cash or you know, funds up front, either for himself or for the club, I think that might be 7-7's problem. I think when it comes to things like the fit and proper persons test, I think it's often less about showing, I think it's more about showing a financial strategy and plan than necessarily showing a bank account with how yeah. much money you've got, which, you know, is, is potentially concerning when it's clear that obviously Everton needs significant funds to just to keep going, essentially. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of debate about how fit for purpose those, those checks and balances are. We would hope that it's due diligence that would help someone like Everton move into, into safe hands if there was to be a takeover. But I don't think that we can be complacent over that, to be honest. So I think the fans' voices and, you know, I think the, the voices of the media as well, like the likes of us and other outlets as well, is going to be very important in this. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, never a dull day when it comes to the toffees, certainly. Um, especially during the international break, should be nice and quiet. It's always <laughs> when you think it's going to be quiet. Uh, yeah, and I think this is probably just 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 a point worth, worth making. Obviously, 
you know, we're less than two weeks on from the MSP deal collapsing. And I think most people in and around the club, dealing with the club, reporting on the club, it looked like that MSP deal was in the final stage. It yeah. looked like it was going to be sorted. But then all of a sudden, you know, it, you know, it collapses. It's kind of, you know, there might be people kind of saying that we haven't done so much reporting in the, in the intervening gap. And, you know, they may well have a point. But the problem is when you're dealing with such complex matters, takes time to kind of reappraise. You have to go to people for comment. You have to get things legal, especially when they're as sensitive as these yeah. things are. When you come off the back of, when you come off the back of the collapse, going straight into you know Doncaster away, transfer deadline day, Sheffield United away, and other bits and pieces, it can be quite difficult. So just to reassure people, we are working on things, and also just to reassure people, you know, we as ever, we will always give the fans a platform for their say as well as anything that we may be looking to do ourselves. Yeah, and with that in mind, have you got any thoughts on the takeover, potential takeover um, of Triple Seven? Um, you're watching us on YouTube, do leave us a comment um, and let us know what you think about that. Uh, we'll move on now, Joe, to the much more sedate environment of the international break. Um, we've seen a few Everton players in action. Obviously, Jordan Pickford played um, against Ukraine at the weekend of that 1 1 draw, pretty trap, all in all. Um, but one of the, the biggest talking points, I think, from, from the break, and um, it's been a bit of a talking point ever since he came to the football club, really. It's been about Amadou Anana. Yeah. Um, and he played for Belgium against Azerbaijan. And you've reliably informed me that there was a fan- fantastic compilation put together um, over the weekend about showing all these great passes and dribbles and, and work off the ball. And they're all in a very deep sort of mid- midfield position. Mm. And naturally, you go, your mind goes to... Why can't he play in that position for Everton as a six? Why can't yeah. Why can't he sit there? He could potentially solve loads of problems. But um, you also told me that that video maybe didn't tell the entire story about Anana and his performance against Azerbaijan. Yeah, it's, it's been one of the big questions since he joined. I think we all, I think, I think we're all aware that Amadou Anana is is is, is a talent with vast potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to work out how best to use him has been a problem for both Frank Lampard and Sean Dyche. You know, I can remember. Um, Sitting in 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 a, in a hotel in the team hotel in Sydney in November with, with Frank Lampard and you know, the la- one of the most recent games before that break for the World Cup was the game against Leicester, hmm. uh, which for, which for me felt like the kind of the starting point for the. It didn't at the time. It didn't at the time. But when you look back on it, that bonfire night. Um, I remember asking him in the press conference how the game went and being shocked by how positively he viewed that match. You know. Because I looked at it bonfire night under the lights at Leicester, and they absolutely, I thought James Madison absolutely played Everton yeah. at the park, and they won two nil. And there was a narrative if you were someone like Lampard there that you could put forward. It was only two nil. The first goal was a worldy volley from Tielemans late in the first half. The second was as Everton were chasing an equaliser. But really, I thought they they were streets ahead mm-hmm. of Everton, and it was a bit of a worrying sign. And part of the problem to that performance was, you know, Amadou and Anna got pushed much further forward almost as a kind of support striker role and it just doesn't work because although he's a physical presence I don't think he's the same style of player as Sam Aran Fellaini I don't think he's particularly good in the air um, which is strange for someone of, of course, size yeah, yeah you know, on the flip side I think he's quite good with the ball at his feet yeah. um, and I remember speaking to, to Frank after that and he was saying yeah there is a little bit of kind of everyone trying to work out what's best for him and Sean Dyche done similar you know he I can't remember which game it, it might and there was a game quite early in, um, it might have been Arsenal away, where he put Amadou Anana a bit further forward and they aimed long balls at him. And it just, again, it just didn't quite work. So 
that song going. Obviously, I think everybody would love him to be a number six and just mm. sit in front of that defence, firefight, and then just start off attacks. Um, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And he's clearly very good at the ball. I think he's had a good start to the season, but if you look at that compilation, there's a lot there to argue that he'd be very good as a six, but the compilation, which is done, you've gone viral on Twitter, also doesn't show. Probably something that those who've been watching Everton for 90 minutes or 100 minutes as it now is this season and a bit of last season are also well aware of. And that is he perhaps doesn't quite have the discipline or the concentration defensively to necessarily be that that firefighter that snuffs out so many problems. And if you go back to the Belgian game against Azerbaijan, which he played well in but, um, by, by all accounts, yeah, there's a moment in, in the first 10 minutes where Azerbaijan break, they get a shot on goal and Amadou Inanna's with the Azerbaijani captain following on the edge of the box. Um, he's clearly an honest man. Um, but in between the shot taking place um, and, and the, the keeper Courtois saving it, Anana lets his man go and all of a sudden the Azerbaijani, Azerbaijan captain's you know, 12 yards out on the rebound, goal gaping. And you know, it's Anana's man's loss. He didn't take advantage. Somebody else came in with a last minute block. But it's just that kind of, you know, be careful what you kind of see almost. Yes, yeah. uh, and I think that's it. I think there's still a little bit of an intrigue around Amadou Anand and what he can do. I think he started the season really well. Um, you know, he's if you look at the stats, he created four big chances, which is joint most of anybody in, in the Premier League. And I think that I particularly look back at the opening game of the season and really Neil Mope and Abdullah Dekori should have scored their one-on-ones. And then all of a sudden you look at that first game of the season, you've got Amadou Anand is coming off with two assists and everyone's going, oh, that's incredible. Mm. Obviously, People aren't finishing the chance. I think Alex Wobe had this problem the same period of last season. He had a significant, he had a decent number of assists, but he would have had so many more if he wasn't for the first half of last season supplying to, you know, the balls were going to say Damari Gray wasn't as adept at mm. finishing as something like a, a Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So. Yeah, I, I, think he's, I think he's done well to start the season. But I, being honest, I, he's one of those players I, I always watch and I'm just kind of always left wanting a, a little bit yeah. more from. And I appreciate he's still very young. He doesn't forget how young he is. Um, he's played under two managers in completely different styles at Everton. He's played in different positions, as we've mentioned already. But there are times in the game where you feel like, I just feel like, you know, you are good on the ball. Mm. You are physical. You know, go and go and hunt for it a bit more. And maybe, maybe that just comes from a lack of confidence. And maybe we forget actually towards the end of last season, Dice actually dropped him from midfield didn't he? Yeah. and preferred James Garner. You, know, you look at that, that Brighton game, it was James Garner playing the central midfield and Anana comes on late on there. So I think the manager's got maybe some small concerns about him. I think his confidence has maybe dropped a little bit, but I, I, I do sort of feel as though he's going to be a six eventually. Yeah. Because I, I look at him and think he, he's good on the ball, but mainly in deeper positions when mm-hmm. the pitch is opened yeah. up in front of him. You know, He's not going to be a player that... He's going to get it on the edge of the box or, or driving forward and, and beat players. You know, you, you can you can drive into space, can't he? But he can't take players on necessarily. Yeah. If you get what I mean. Um, but I think the best aspect of his game is actually his tackling. Yeah. You know, his slide tackling is, is fantastic. You know, every time he goes in for one, I always wince a little bit, thinking, "Oh no," because he's he's committed, isn't he? And he's aggressive. Yeah. But he very very rarely mistimes them. He, he typically wins the ball. Um, 
And I think potentially being in one of those two holding positions in front of, you know, the four, two, three, one, um, where he can win it. He's got a bit more license to drive. And yeah. I mean the problem he's maybe got at the moment from from my point of view is that actually look at Adrissa Gay and and while it, it sounds weird to say because they're very different in stature and the points in the career, but I think they're actually quite similar mm. in the way they both want to go hunting for the ball. Um, whereas if Everton had someone who just sat and barely moved, like a Gareth Barry, for yeah. example, that type of player, I think that would get so much more out of an Anara and Adrissa Gay. That's it. I think you know, I think he could work in a you know, double pivot, you know, just sitting in front of the fence with another player, but um, obviously can learn this, hopefully, but I'm not sure he's quite got the instincts to just have the the discipline just to mm. be that and just to do that I'm not sure he's wanting to either because he's very powerful when he drives forward we saw it you know, mm. multiple occasions last season I mean the most memorable was when he took on Martin Odegaard down the touchline yeah. for Dyche's first game and you know he just absolutely smoked him down the down, down the side and I just think that you almost to get the best out of in, in, a, in a strange way to get the best out of Anana defensively you almost need him to be further forward so he can track back like I f- see someone like Anana as, you know, again, it's it's that slide and tackle as the player's you know, running at your centre-back and he you know, comes, he stretches out a telescopic leg, wins the ball, and then he's looking up and then, you know, where can I take it? Can I, can I drive forward with it? Can I pick out a pass? Mm. And I almost see that as his strength from a defensive position um, point of view as opposed to sitting... You know, with the with the midfielder coming at him with the ball and yeah. trying to you know, trying to stop him from from that way, so I kind of I think you know, he could work in a deeper role, but I think ultimately he probably needs someone alongside him. And again, you know, it's the same with with Adrissa Gay, isn't it? Where he's he's quite good at the defensive aspects of the job. And he's obviously got a very good engine on him, um, but again, he's not he's not quite a six. They're both almost like same before we come on them almost. Not six, but they're not. They're kind of like six and a half or something yeah. like that. They're both, think... they're both ball winners, as opposed yeah. to like. Now I'm thinking. I'm thinking about like when I play football manager. Now, like what role would you would you give to both of them? Like one's like an anchor who sits yeah. and waits and reacts. I almost wonder if you'd be better off. I mean, obviously, it'd be interesting to see how Sean Dyche uses Abdullah Dakori going forward, bearing in mind how much better his offensive options are mm. now. Because I mean, basically, you know, for the back end of last season, it very much became about just. Decore and his energy and his strength and his determination just being another figure driving up you know, to support mm. you know, Damari Gray or Ella Sims or someone who was who was up top. Um, but if you're going to try and play a more considered way, you know, rather than having Decore as a support striker, if you had someone there who could be an anchor themselves and then you know, it would give Gay and it would give Anana a bit more freedom on the ball, a bit more licensed attack, yeah, that would be helpful. But Evan don't have that in the squad. So, you know, where they go from that. Because it's it's difficult because it's it's hard to see. It's hard to see a two-man central midfield mm. within what they've got. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you know, if you if you had Garner in there as opposed to Decore, you have a little bit more control. He might do that job. But again, Garner's still very young and learning. I think Garner's still working out a little bit about what type of mid-centre midfielder yeah. he is, and obviously the fact that he's doing so much of a job out. Out on, the, out on the flanks during the injury she doesn't help him either so yeah and we'll preview the Arsenal game a bit more later in the week mm. of course when, when we're back for that but I think that's going to be really interesting the dynamic for that midfield going into that game at the weekend because I think the, the second half against Doncaster shows to me that whatever your misgivings uh, and your opinions about Idrissa Gay he, he's got to play mm-hmm, he's, mm-hmm. he's effectively the grown up in there isn't he at, at yeah. times uh, but I think the rest of it's going to be interesting especially we've got 
you know, Harrison and McNeil back, and therefore you play a winger on the right-hand side. You've got Dan Juma potentially off the left-hand side. And then all of a sudden, those two midfield positions and the, the, the one pushing on, which the has been mm. filling, it's, it's four into three then, isn't it? Because yeah. you've got to basically drop one of Garner or Nana, you'd imagine, because Decore has been so effective in that role on the day. She scored, obviously, the opening goal against um, Sheffield United. I think he's probably our best player, outfield player against Wolves as well, so I think he probably stays there. Mm. All of a sudden, it's that, that straight decision again between Anana and, and James Garner. Of course, unless James Garner is shifted to right back. Yeah. So th- th- there are options there, but I think it's an area of the pitch, and you know, Michael Ball said this in his, his column yesterday, that... Doesn't feel like we've got the balance quite no. right yet in that midfield, but now now Dice has got all the options available to him. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I mean yeah, there may it may be that there's less reliance on someone like Decore to play the role that he's done because what Everton could have this time this season, as opposed to last season, is they could have wingers that are driving into the box. Mm. You know, Alex Awobi and Dwight McNeil aren't those. You know, they're not turning up at the back post very often, are they? They're kind of they're playing deeper roles and yeah. supplying. You know, supplying balls in for ideally Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Beto and you know Decore coming off and that's where Decore's physicality works so well um, you know, there might not be as much of a need for that if you've got you know Dan Juma and, and Harrison on the wing who are both you know quite skilled when it comes to going into the opposition box and like to go and hunt for for goals so I mean that that could be quite interesting I mean the other thing is as well I think from what we see in the way Sean that he doesn't really like to play through midfield no you know, Everton it doesn't seem under Deitch Evan they're going to be a possession-based football team. They're not going to knock 40 passes around the centre midfield, gently probe and wait for somebody to <laughs> you know, come out so they can then break the lines yeah. or something like that. I think more often than not, he wants to, you know, he wants to use his possession as, as kind of efficiently and as effectively as it possibly can. I think he's, he is probably happier for other teams to have more. He's, he's probably happier for Everton's mid, central midfield to be you know, sat deep, preventing another team of keeping hold of the ball from penetrating Evans and then seeking to hunt it down, win it, and then set off a counter-attack yeah. than he is then playing any other way. So from a footballing point of view, it's almost like he doesn't need footballers in the centre of the field because he's trying to bypass them. Obviously, that's where someone like Anana does come into their strengths because we've seen it a few times already this season. And in fairness, we're in, you know, in that Belgium compilation where sometimes when he does get the ball, when he does get the break of the ball, you know, five yards outside his own box, he can play that. 20-yard yeah. through ball to set off a winger or something like that. So I think that's going to be really interesting because everything suggests that through the players that he's he's brought that or he's brought in, you know, in Harrison and, and Dan Jim, that he would probably want to play with wingers this time, whereas last season it was very much Iwobi and, and McNeil were almost kind of flat central, flat wide midfielders, mm. weren't they? Because he was relying on defensive work so often. The other one is, is whether Dan Juma could play the Decore role much better. Yeah. Um, but the danger, I think, with then is it's trying to pick a two-man centre midfield from the options that Evan have got. And I'm not sure that there is a two-man centre midfield within mm. that that really works. No. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. No, I think I'd, I think I'd agree there. It, it feels like they've all got 
issues in the game, which means you'd be a bit exposed yeah. there. But listen, if we're chasing a game later on, we need to get players on the pitch. Um, it's an option, which is, yeah. which is good, isn't it? Um, and just to, to sort of wrap wrap this up, mate, I was listening to the podcast last week and you sort of predicted this would happen, but Damari Gray went off to Jamaica um, and he scored. I, I, I didn't see the game, I've not watched the highlights in full, but I saw his goal and I saw his celebration. And he did give it a little finger to the <laughs> ear, didn't he? And I don't know if that was directed, uh, I don't know, maybe he was getting some sticks from the opposition fans, maybe it was directed towards... Sean Dyche probably but. more Sean Dyche and Honduras <laughs> yeah it was Honduran a, ultras, like. yeah it was a, but it's always going to happen wasn't it yeah I think so and I think I think it's important not to read too much into the goal itself you know, we've seen Damari Gray score that goal yeah. several times forever mm. not lots several we know that that's his the, the, the position from which he's most he's most dangerous I think we'd all agree that we didn't see enough of it um you know, I don't think anybody would disagree that Damari Gray was a sale that made sense. Uh, the, the question was when in the transfer window you'd make it. And it, it was the timing that seemed problematic, I think, for, for myself as opposed to the decision itself. And also what that delay led to, because obviously it meant that Cannon, Iwobi and Mope are all out the door and then Gray becomes an issue. I mean, I just found, obviously I said this last week, wrote it you know, last week as well, that I thought the two interesting things to look out for after Damari Gray's departure was one, whether or not he'd play for Jamaica and how much he'd play. Well, obviously I think he played about 80 minutes against Honduras. Now, that's a little bit of an issue for me because obviously he hasn't been involved at all in Evans' first team since he came back from his last stint with Jamaica. So you're looking at five or six weeks. I mean, there's four Premier League games there. Now, OK, Deitch has a higher threshold for fitness and I think we have to look at the way he's handled situations like Dominic Calvert-Lewin and give him praise and credit for that. Um, but, and I'm, you know, I imagine, you know, with all due respect, that there's probably a lesser level of fitness is needed to play well for Jamaica against Honduras and forever in the Premier sure. League. But where there's an issue for, for myself is, I think, if you look at how Evans' first four games of the season have gone, it's very difficult to see how Damari Gray couldn't have played a role in some of them, even if you take, because you know, has always said it's been fitness as an issue. Well, even if you just say, you know, Everton named four outfield players on the bench against, in what was a huge, yeah. hugely important tie against Sheffield United. One of them was Dwight McNeil, who, you know, Deitch admitted he'd brought back early for the game. Another one was Jared Brown, who we've since been learned has been playing with a groin injury. Mm-hmm. You know, was there not a role that Damari Gray could have played, especially bearing in mind after that game, he said the plan was to reintegrate him. You know, was there not, would Evan not have been better off with him on the bench there as another option for those past 15 minutes? You could extend it back further and obviously we know there was stuff going on behind the scenes and maybe fitness was more of an issue at this point. But, you know, I think if Damari Gray is on the pitch against Fulham, certainly, possibly Wolves, then there's a chance that he scores one of those chances that, other players miss. Might get one moment. You might get one yeah. moment, and that's not me saying that Gray is a hugely clinical mm. uh, finisher. That's not me saying I think that, that Gray would walk in or, or start in a first team lineup for me this season had he stayed. But you know there is that kind of Everton. Yeah, they they can't afford to be picky. I don't think. Mm. Um, and if there was a chance he was available and he wasn't used, has that cost them? Um, the other thing I thought was interesting to count for was what number Jack Harrison got. Yeah. And this is less of an issue, bearing in mind, obviously, Damari Gray's left the club now, but he did pick up Damari Gray's number 11, and um, which we 
you suspected might be the case, albeit it hadn't. It, I thought it was quite telling that you know, when you look at Ashley Young, when you look at Beto, when you look at Dan Juma, one of the first things about any of their announcements was also their shirt number. And meanwhile, Harris on the flip side, you know, there was no mention of his number, no mm. picture of him in any numbered you know, shirt or shorts since he joined the club. Um, it does feel a little bit like that number 11. There was a, a hope that he would get the number 11. Said this last week, he was number eleven in the Sheffield in, on the Everton list in the Sheffield United program mm. with Demari Gray still at the club, but absent from that list, which is a peculiar thing. Yeah. And it just what that does to me is that's not me necessarily saying that Sean Dyche has handled this situation poorly or anything like that. Like I think, Morris, no one comes out as a winner, and I can see a scenario in which you know uh, Dyche has just had a very difficult situation to deal with, and you know obviously it's it's moved on as it as it has. But it perhaps lends some credence to the idea that, you know, Gray's unhappiness might there might have been some roots for that as you know, it might not have all been, it might have been six to one half a dozen of the other sure. as opposed to just all him being a problem that you know, that Evan Deitch had to deal with. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of number changes this year. Some of them have thrown me off a little bit. Yeah, a couple, Pat- hasn't there? Patterson's so. number two now, isn't he? Yeah, so Patterson's... Tarkovsky's gone to six. That's it. And then the weirdest one was Mope being 13, 13. for a little bit. Yeah, yeah I, so. didn't, I didn't quite get that. But, no, I yeah. mean, um, one of the things I'd be interested to get your views on is obviously the numbers came out and within that, you know, Everton effectively announced a 26-man senior squad because that's the number of numbers that yeah. they had there. That's 26 players. Obviously, you know, four of those are goalkeepers. Obviously, Pickford, you know, is, <laughs> yeah. is, is a very good goalkeeper. Yeah. But, you know, of that 26, you've got three goalkeepers. You know, you've got Tyler Onyango and Lewis Dobbin, mm. who, you know, obviously talented players that come from the academy, but it's a significant step up for them. For them. If you're, you know, if you take them out of the question, it's down to 21. And then you have the questions over, say, Andre Gomez. You have the situation with, you know, with, with Delhi. Mm. Is he realistically going to be an option for them to use this season. If you say no to both of them, you're down to 19. Mm. And then you probably look at several other other players who are available. And I think it's I don't think it's controversial to say that Seamus Coleman, Nathan Patterson, Ben Godfrey um, have all had significant injury issues over Dom recent well. years. So uh, Cavalier, yeah. of course. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're into the low to mid-teens. Mm. I mean, what do you think about that, that it's, squad list? It's warrior, isn't it? I think... Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. There's going to be a, I think it's going to be a very rare occurrence for us to have a bench this season that has um, nine players on it for a start, and even more rare for us to have a bench with nine players on that doesn't have two mm. two goalkeepers on there. And like, you know, it's it's also become a little bit of a running joke, hasn't it, when the team comes out saying, right, how many how many keepers have Everton named on the the bench today? But but it is worrying, and you know, it's. It's, it's going to test the manager out a lot, isn't it? Because I think, as, as we've said so much, that he is reluctant to make substitutions mm. anyway. He was before he came into Everton. But the way in which the, the game has changed now, since he was at Burnley, since he came here, there's more subs available to you on the bench. There's more subs you can make now with, with the five changes. 
matches are longer than, than they've ever been. So you're going to get, we've already seen two situations, haven't we, at home, where Everton have conceded late goals against teams who've been able to, to make changes. Yeah. And, and they are probably, you know, Wolves are going to be right down there with us. Fulham, I imagine, will be a mid to, to bottom half side. And, and they've got, they've shown they've got better strength and depth. And listen, I suppose we'll have more coming back. Hopefully there'll be something in the, the you know, the, the the claims that were coming out of the club in the summer that we're going to be one of the fittest teams in the league and that mm. hopefully will start to take effect as the the season goes on. But, you know, it's it's a massive concern. Um, but I think the, the one the one positive factor I'd say in this is that I think if you look at the squad and you go through it section by section, I think the areas where you typically make changes in games, so your midfield, mm. your wide positions, your attackers, we've got more options there now. And it's more the positions like, you know, left back and centre back and right back when when Colm's not in not available at the moment. You look at the bench and go, we've not got anyone there. But yeah. in games, would you typically make changes in those positions anyway? If you yeah, get what I mean. Really you know, good point, so yeah. typically, you know, you you change your forward and you change your wingers and you change your attack midfielder when you're trying to change the match. You don't change a centre back even if they're playing terribly. Yeah, I, I guess that's it, isn't it? Because I mean, if you're you, know, you can bring Decorey off for James Garner. Yeah. Be a little bit more conservative. You can. <laughs> You know, if one of Dan Juma or say McNeil's tiring, you've got Harrison who's calling mm. from the wide thing. And if you're in a situation where you can rotate Beto in, and um, and Dominic Cavalu and give one sixty and one forty minutes, and that's actually quite good. Yeah. I, I definitely think that. Yeah, I've said this a few times that you know, I think Evans' first eleven, maybe their first 12, 13 mm. is stronger this season mm. than it realistically was going to be compared to last year. I say realistically because you know I don't think Mina was ever going to be a deal it was I don't think I don't think I think we can all agree why he wasn't offered a new deal and, yeah. and him leaving the club because of his injury issues and the expense of his wages it's just that kind of danger isn't it if they get a few injuries to key positions and you should expect and be able to deal with with, with some injuries I think over the last two years I, mean, I do think they've genuinely been unlucky with with injuries they have bad luck with injuries. That's where I think the problem comes in this, this season, isn't it? Yeah, and someone else to look out, out for as well. I suppose we've got AFCON coming up in the new year. Interesting guy said today that he wants to keep playing for Senegal, yeah. despite, you know, he think came off for a couple of minutes at the end of their game. So, Decore, we don't really know what's going on with the situation of him and, and Marley, and they've got they've actually got a really good squad, so I don't even know if you'd get in yeah. their squad as well. So, but that's well down the line. We'll, we'll, we'll cross that yeah. bridge when we come to Absolutely. it. Um, but that's it from us for now. Um, as Joe mentioned, uh, do check out the site for all the latest on the potential takeover from Triple Seven. Lots of fine work from Joe and my colleague Dave Powell as well. On all the goings on there, let us know your thoughts on that, on the midfield, on anything else we've spoken about today. We'll be back later in the week to react on Sean Dyche's press conference, all the injury updates, and preview what is becoming a bit of a regular seasonal win against Arsenal at Goodison Park as well. We'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 